Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So, the National are one of the best, most consistent, and most persistent rock bands of this century. Not that there's a super ton of competition, but they are really great. They were once based in Brooklyn, now they're based basically all over. They make music for grown-ups, which is a rare and, I would argue, wonderful thing here in 2017. And they have a new album that is as strong as anything they've ever done. We have Matt Berninger from The National right here. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for being here. Let's hear from the new album, uh, The System Only Dreams in Total Darkness. Maybe I listen more than you think And I can tell that somebody sold you We said we'd never let anyone Matt, one time we spoke and you told what seems to be a, a sort of semi-origin story of the National. And the vision is of you sitting, I don't know if it was on a porch, but I picture it on a rainy day, sitting slightly depressed while you had a day job with headphones on, I think listening to maybe Nick Cave and sipping whiskey. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, the National makes all kinds of music. I think one of the strains of music is a kind of music that would be very appropriate to listen to while you sit on your porch, contemplating the universe and sipping whiskey. I'll admit, I'm wine and vodka. I like the lighter, the yeah, whiskey. I had some troubles with not <laughs> troubles. I just just bad nights, and so I, yeah. But uh, but yeah, everything else seems pretty accurate so far. Go ahead. I mean, how would you describe the mission statement of the National if you if you could mm. today or back then? Uh, Both, perhaps. Um, well, I mean, I was in a band before the National, and so we're, Scott and I are in a band called Nancy um, in college with with um, college friends and. So are the other guys a different band? And then I think our mission statements, the mission statement of Nancy was try to sound like pavement and, and have fun and, right. and, and, you know, whatever. And, uh, and we did, we made a record and stuff, but we were, we were like, we played a couple of gigs in Cincinnati, but they were in that scene. And, and the other guy's band, Project Nim was a very, very more of like a college, uh, it wasn't a jam band, but it was like a 10,000 maniacs sort of thing. So we, both of our bands, we were on the outskirts of the, the kind of Southern Ohio cool scene that had, had, you know, it started with, you know, Afghan wigs or later the, you know, and then Brainiac and then Breeders and Guided by Voices and all that kind of stuff. So there was like a big, there was a, there was a scene. So I think the, our mission statement then was to, just to try to be able to compete with Brainiac, you know, and, and, mm. and there was, there was a show at Casey's in basement that we, that members of Brainiac came and I think my funny thing is my parents also came and my memory is that uh is that that Juan Monasterio was talking during during while we were playing and my dad asked him to be quiet and then he left so so our shot at a uh, impressing Brainiac was over uh it quickly after two songs because my my dad asked him to be quiet so um he didn't know what he was doing dad but uh uh but uh yeah so 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 back then I think we just kind of wanted to have fun and compete with you know the bands that we were seeing, you know, at Bogarts and Sudsy Malone's in Cincinnati. Yeah. And now, yeah. <laughs> oh God, now uh, our mission <laughs> statement individually is probably all completely different. You know, we don't have a band mission statement anymore. You know, actually we never did. Um, mine now, my mission statement is uh, be as kind to my friends and family as I can and to be as brave as I can, you know, and those kind of go, they become the same things uh, pretty quickly, bravery and kindness and sh- so, and make some art and have fun. 
The new album is called Sleep Well Beast, and it's out on September 5th. The title track is, which is not released to the public yet, is pretty wild. It's kind of emblematic of the experimentation on this uh, album. There's a lot of sort of electronics going on. It goes in a lot of different directions. It, It seems like you said that the idea behind this album was there was a little bit of anything goes. You were trying to break out in a bunch of ways. Is that correct? Well, we didn't know what we were trying, but, <laughs> but everybody had been trying a lot of different things, you know, in the, not just in between the last two records, but even way before that. The, between our last two records, the first time I actually, you know, put out another music project. Um, with Elvi, yeah. Yeah, with Elvi. But those guys had been doing that for a while in various forms. I mean, and, you know, collaborating with Sufjan and, and, and Justin and Vernon and, and, and Richie and from Arcade Fire. So those guys have been out there. Aaron and Bryce particularly have been out there collaborating and doing a lot of different things. So, uh, and, and that stuff always brought back stuff. They literally would bring Richie and Sufjan and Justin and Annie and everybody and Sharon Vinnett and, uh, you know, and Ma- they literally bring them back to the studio <laughs> to, to, to work on our records. So, so that sort of like open door policy and open experimental policy or whatever has been there for a while. I think, this record was we just had more time to let all those just let let other stuff in the room and let other ideas percolate uh and all that kind of stuff and and, and it resulted in and this collection you know and it, and it's and it's it's not like a, it's not a uh, concept album or something but it's all it's all it's interconnected and dots do do connect here and there and stuff like that and it is about to a certain extent about marriages uh in trouble again a very tween friendly topic uh <laughs> Uh, Man, I was actually I was singing about um, being in a troubled marriage before, I, way before I ever met my wife and everything. Uh, I wrote "Slipping Husband," I think, when uh, I can't remember how old I was when I said. But, but my point is, is that it's it's yeah yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff about marriage. It's not it's not about marriage. Um, um, it's about relationships, and and some of it is about my marriage. Some of it's about my relationship. I mean, I've been in, in a relationship with these guys. Uh, in the band long way before I met my wife and everything. So, and, and, and sometimes, and there's literally family involved and it's not so specifically autobiographical about my marriage, but, but the idea of commitment and relationships and, 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 and evolution of, of relationships is, is woven throughout it. Yeah. And you of course collaborate on lyrics with your wife. It's important yep. to point out. Yeah. So since, since, uh, four, four or five records since boxer. Yeah. On a side note, apparently you guys uh, are writing a TV show together, or tried to write a TV show together. <laughs> we we're, we are still doing it. Ask me in a year from now, it may have been tried. But yeah, we're, Tom Tom and Corinne and I are, are developing a TV show. So the sound of this record was there a key moment when you knew it was coming together when you found a direction? I mean, there was a no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 Aaron started sending me sketches three and a half years ago. Right. Wow. Uh, you know, even though we talk about like taking breaks and going on hiatuses and whatnot, like all it takes is somebody to to email somebody an idea, and that sparks somebody. Like, you can't resist it. And next thing you know, you know, three, two, two years go by, and you have about twenty or thirty things that you've been going back to and opening up folders and, and working on it. So, so it, it, the thing came together pretty organically, and, and yeah, but about a year ago is when we kind of like, yeah, it looks like we got a record coming together you know and and then we really start digging in and then we really start coming together and literally working on it all and start to pick and choose which things to focus on so that happened i don't know when that happened but a year and a half ago but i got excited about this record about 
you know what? I got excited about this record three and a half years ago when Aaron sent me that first sketch. So, so whiskey has been abandoned for wine largely. I, I also, <laughs> I also get a sense, and you are living in California. I get a sense that uh, that that weed may be playing a a part in your consumption lately. I could Did be you wrong. get a sense from yeah. that from this interview or from other <laughs> interviews that I've I've done uh, from um, li- from lyrics and uh, yeah. Listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a law abiding uh, American and uh, in California it is yeah. 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 So, so, and, and here's the, here's the, the reality about that. I never smoked weed at all. I had, I smoked weed when, you know, a couple of times in college and had terrible, terrible experiences. Like, you know, you know, lock yourself in a closet and, and draw the devil type of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you read somewhere that happens because some PSA said that this, that's what's going to happen. Um, so I did that. I like, I like, you know, I was like, Oh, that is, it's, it's true. Um, so so I, I never smoked weed you know until I moved to California and then and then um I started smoking a bit and, and it's and it's um yeah it's been great <laughs> have you found it uh, shaped your creative process at all or the direction of I think your- it's yeah it's influenced it for sure it's like I, I mean although although I was moving this in this direction before where where like um I, I edit myself less uh you know clearly and just just kind of enjoy the process of create even all the bad ideas I, I, here's the thing is like when you're we we does relax your critical uh, being so critical of, of everything even yourself and everyone else and mm. and uh and it, it allows you to sort of like kind of move forward and have lots of ideas and not be like filled, filled with all the self-loathing of everyone and your ideas is terrible even though nine out of ten of them probably are terrible <laughs> so so yeah it's been a catalyst for just relieving some of the, the anxiety of writing. And I think a lot of people smoke a little weed before they go to work in the morning. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a good idea, but like, especially as like you work on some sort of manual labor thing or anything, or even like working in a restaurant, it, it's, there's a way, it is a catalyst for actually getting good work done too. I'm just, um, it's not about, it's not about eating chips and playing video games. It, you know, um, people have been using this for multiple reasons since for centuries for, for all kinds of things. So. Truly medicinal, yes. <laughs> I'm such a nerd, too. I, I'm, I'm one of those new weed-smoking nerds who can't stop talking about it, where people who've been smoking since the 60s are like, ugh. You know, it's, it's like somebody talking about like bush ice beer, you know, or different like that. Like, oh, I'm really into those iced beers because they're so, so much cleaner and purer. <laughs> anyway. so, so we started out by playing a little bit of the the system only dreams in total darkness uh which would have been a cool album title too i have to say yeah but uh tell me about that song tell me about about the how the music came together tell me about the the lyrics to the extent that you're comfortable okay a lot of these things were came from stuff way back that aaron a little piano sketch or it was a guitar sketch or something and some stuff from brace but that one actually the the sketch of that uh, was called Haunt, and I think the sketch of that happened in a room together with the whole band um, up in upstate, or that could have been Venice, California. But anyway, there was a sketch called Haunt that that had that, and that was just mm. like a, we were we were playing with different guitar things, and that riff I really loved, and then we just built a song around that riff. Uh, I don't know who plays that riff, <laughs> either Aaron or Bryce. I know Aaron plays the solo, but I'm not sure he plays the riff that kind of became the the, the foundation for that sketch. And that sketch was called Haunt, and we always we were fighting about that song for a long time because it just never quite seemed right. We were changing the drums. We kept trying to change everything. We, the only thing that we didn't change was the... And uh, everything else, we kept changing around it, and the guitar solo was just like, that's... you know. So we kind of built the song around those things, but it wasn't working until 
the night before we were supposed to be kind of be done with the record, and it was my wife was like, listen, I found an old version of that sketch haunt that had some different lyrics on it, one of which some mumbled version of the system only dreams in total darkness. So overnight, Corinne and I kind of rewrote all the lyrics to that. Um, in in the morning, this was normally we would have it would have been caused a great deal of anxiety and stress to like suddenly you know rewrite and have to re-record all the vocals and lyrics and everything for a song and and that that, more than that changed too like on the day you're supposed to like send it off to master but i worked all night and then and then my wife and i like she was she was in la i worked as long as i could then she worked and then sent me her ideas every night and i woke up early at five and went back to work and when aaron showed up at nine in the morning i played him what we had on you know it still needed to be finished and done and you know we had to pull the thing apart but you could tell it was going to be better so that turned into system only dreams and in total darkness and you know kind of that phrase was was a free associated thing and then the rest of it kind of got crafted around it the rest of the lyrics and then the other there was one other song that's that that spawned off of that sketch haunt and that was turtleneck and and that was i love that that was that reminds me of some older national stuff it's great yeah yeah i mean that was the that was that's the sort of cathartic post-trump a win uh, moment, <laughs> even though he's not really mentioned, but it's just that that, that just was a that, that song is simply medicinal, <laughs> you know, personally. And, yeah. um, but so that was that was came from the same sketch haunt from that same session where we just that jam where and again, Corinne was like, why don't you just take the really loud part and just loop that and that's just make a short song just with the super loud part. That's how that started and it turned to turtleneck. That one was written you know really quickly too so those two songs system of the dreams and turtleneck are from this sketch called haunt that came from a jam session which is kind of rare for us Mm. uh less so now and then spawned those two songs that were like you know recklessly and quickly written sort of let's talk briefly about turtleneck that that by the way has uh, in the course uh, keep the weed next to the bed light the water check for lead so the line i was interested i think a bunch of people have pointed to is the poor they leave their cell phones in the bathrooms of the rich and when they try to turn them off everything they switch to is just another man in shitty suits that everybody's cheering for this must be the genius we've been waiting years for so uh, a little bit of trump in there i guess yeah, I mean that's obviously about Trump, and I think I'd be perfect. Yeah, they're good suits cut poorly, to be clear. But yes, <laughs> yes. I just the image though of that line: the the poor they leave their cell phones in the bathrooms of the rich. Of course, is because like oh, I can I, just the image of that man just tweeting his hate, you know, on his mm. toilet is is that just happens every morning. I just like because it's happening every literally every morning, and mm. so so that's a little bit of it. And then, um, but there's also a Leonard Cohen line that I'm kind of pe- stealing from, uh, or just re re reforming, where they, they it's something the rich they leave there cameras in the bedrooms of the poor i think is 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 mm. cohen's uh line so i it's a, a kind of a flip of that you're just taking all old leonard cohen lyrics and making them <laughs> making them about twitter that's just the, re, yeah just repurpose them for the modern <laughs> age that's yeah that's probably be good so it is interesting you guys have taken heat for that very idea um people have called you a new kind of dad rock they've I think someone once said, and I, I do think this is kind of funny. Someone said the national make music for sad lawyers, um, which, <laughs> which, which my favorite, my favorite was brunch core. <laughs> it is an interesting thing because I think part of it is coming against a climate and criticism that is anti-rockist or pro-poptimist or whatever we are, post-poptimist, wherever we are in criticism, where just a, an ambitious rock band with smart lyrics, which used to be for years, the kind of thing that was absolute catnip for 
the critical world is not necessarily anymore. Although, of course, you guys get plenty of great reviews. And but there is that interesting thing in the discourse. How, how aware of are you of well, that? I think, and yeah, I mean, there's still the craving on a mainstream level for great lyrics. I mean, that's why uh, that's why Kendrick Lamar and and uh, you know that's why he's as he's as big as he is. You know, that's why why. Kanye sure. and, 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 and Beyonce and, and, and that's that's why hip hop actually is is dominant um, because it's the best writing I think um, on a lot of levels. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that, that an appreciation for good writing has has uh, disappeared necessarily um, or claim. <laughs> I mean I think I'm a good I, I'm a, I'm a good writer I think. Um, but yeah, there is uh, some sort of disdain. A little bit um, in, in the in the mainstream music world for a type of band. Well, probably because it just got overlauded. You know, mm. I mean, like people have been just like, you know, just dropping at the feet of Dylan and or the Beatles or the Stones and, you know, forever to the point where it's like we have enough coffee tables. You know, coffee table books of, of those dudes. I mean, <laughs> we do. You know, I literally just did a coffee table book on David Bowie, so I'm deeply offended. No, go on. No, yeah. no. I mean, but I, 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 I'm sure I pre-ordered it. You know, because they're all my heroes. But there's also a good point about like there's a certain thing that you can do with guitar bands that after a while you start to just research, recycle the same ideas, which is I'm not it is exactly a lot of what we're doing, I admit. But uh, that's what jazz does, and that's why there's there's more doors being opened in hip hop right now. There just are, yeah. So it makes sense, uh, and so I'm, I'm I'm not in no way offended by the fact that rock and roll in general is on its way out. It's just it's just still what we it's still the game we play, you know. It's funny, I was talking to Josh Homme from uh, Queens of the Stone Age, and he, he described uh, basically threatening to punch out an Interscope Records executive who told him that rock is on, on its way out. So don't don't say that to, to Josh. <laughs> Josh, no, I it's won't. Going by, yeah. Just, just an <laughs> important safety tip. Shit. I think Josh knows where I live, so I hope he doesn't listen. It no, no. Josh is. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, Josh is smart. He, 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 I get, I get his point for for defending his craft. You know, I, I'm, I'm with him there too. I defend my craft, but I, but I do. I'm aware of of um, you know the big picture is is the big picture makes sense to me. I do think there is a high high quotient of of um, dumb music though, that, and there but there always has been. You know, so it's it's not like that's new. For sure. The uh, the song Walk It Back has a bit in it where this has to be the only album I've ever heard that has a long spoken word passage taken from a New York Times magazine article. Inf- kids love that shit. <laughs> again, again, this is this is all for the kids. There's an infamous quote. Many people believe it was from Karl Rove, the former Bush strategist, and uh, it had to do with the reality-based community which he had exempted the Bush administration from. How did that bit end up in that song? It's pretty haunting in, in, in context. Ron Suskind wrote the piece, but I think he, he wrote it originally, interviewed Karl Rove, who apparently still does not cop to being the person who said those words out loud in the White House. But yeah, it was said in the White House to by someone <laughs> in uh, t- to Ron Suskin, who was there for the New York Times, and then then Ron Suskin repurposed it after Trump won, and that's where I uh, again saw it, and, I, uh, and and it struck another chord, and it struck a special chord after Trump won because it's it's somebody saying out loud uh, what 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 one of the things we fear most is that w- when you know he said when 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 we can control 
what people understand is real or true, we can do whatever the F we want to, right? Um, that's what he said. And he said it out loud. It's like, you you guys you guys are, are in the reality-based community. Well, you'll hear the quote. It's terrifying. So I just, I couldn't get it out of my head. So I uh, repurposed it and had Lisa Hannigan speak it. She's also, Lisa Hannigan's brilliant. She's on the record a bunch. And and um, she also does the voice in a Steven, uh, Steven Universe of Blue Diamond. And I thought that would be huh. a perfect That'd be a perfect voice uh, to to read this quote, this this dark, this dark evil poetry that that came from the mouth of uh, apparently Carl Rove. The, the the other funny part about it is that Ron Suskind wants some publishing for it, which I was like, that's fine, but you have to get split it with Carl. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah, I want to bait Carl by saying, listen, you get you know five, you know t- <laughs> you're gonna get twenty bucks or hundred bucks a year of publishing for this if you admit that you said it in the White House. I lied about part of it. I said it was written in a red sharpie on a whiteboard and anything you know and that, that's mm. that was my that's fake news from yeah. me another so you've released I think three songs from the mm. new national album uh, which is called Sleep Well Beast and is out in September. Another one is Corinne at the liquor store. <laughs> I was a world. I was a creature I get on the ground. The second I see you, you cannot command your love. Tell me about that song. Tell cage. me, you know, besides getting the world to pronounce your wife's name correctly, what what was the uh, what was the impetus? <laughs> well, she didn't she didn't want her name in the song, ah. and then and not only did they put it, in, I called I named the song that I doubled down. Um, <laughs> um, that song is really important to Aaron, and and the music came to me for that, and Aaron plays the piano in a way that nobody else does, and and the minute he sent me that one, it was just one of those ones I just like okay, that's. I, you know, it's one of those things you just, it's too, I just kept going back, couldn't go back to it, you know, or couldn't, couldn't stop going back to it. And just, I just, I just poured a lot of feeling into that because it just wanted me because he did and it was all there. So, and I know he was writing a lot, his mother-in-law who passed away this past year, mm. um, you know, she, she was diagnosed with cancer and, 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 um, and she, she died, died, um, in the, while we were making this record and that was her favorite thing too. So it, it was just, it was a really important thing. The record's dedicated to her. So, and it was important to me too. So I wanted to put as much as my, so, you know, just a love song, um, about and to my wife. And, and it's not so specific. It's not all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I, 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 you know, I, I have not never, uh, Never, never seen the corpse of of John Keeper. Cheever was not there, and he was surra- <laughs> and he was surrounded by his his. I think I think there's something in that line. He was surrounded by his 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 wife and family when he died, and he is that was a complicated, brilliant artist with a very with you know all kinds of issues and and or I won't call them issues. I'll call them uh, complications. You know, but but he but he died surrounded by his family and in, in in the arms of love and you know and. It's a centerpiece, kind of emotionally for all of us in, in some ways, or at least mm. I know, I know for me and I know for Aaron. When you have a rhyme like Keeper and John Cheever, is that, it, it's pretty brilliant. It's also like, is it part of you? It's like, is that too clever? <laughs> or is again, like self-editing is, uh, you're trying know. to do less of it? No, I mean, that that's a good thing. That's that's where my wife is very helpful, which, I mean, she's like, um, she, she was an editor. And, and so I... I I, you know, sometimes you can tip the balance in something being too silly or too, too obtuse or too not obtuse, you know, and all that stuff. And she's just a real good, she's a really, she's a really good ear for tone and all that stuff. And, um, Tom Waits and his wife write together too. And, and he describes it as a, she washes and I dry, but, uh, I think ours is different. I think I, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I spill out lots and lots and lots of ideas and she combs through it and, and tells me where, where I'm like kind of 
going, you know, going in the same territory too much or sound, sound false. And then, and then, you know, then she'll give me some lines and some of the best national lines are hers. And the uh, third song that's available is uh, Guilty Party. So let's hear a little bit of that and then talk about it. Mm-hmm. You're sleeping night and day. What was the process behind that one? Uh, that's that, that one is another version of a sketch uh, that split into two songs, like an egg dividing. Hmm. Um, and, and the egg was a, song, a sketch called Blackborn. Um, and Aaron and Bryce and those guys were really, really working hard on that one and developing something which turned into Sleep Well Beast, the song Sleep Well Beast. That's the last song, which is kind of, you know, a whole different type of thing. Um, and just in terms of what that song is about, yeah, it's a it's a song. It's a breakup song, you know. Mm. Um, and is it about my marriage? Uh, yes and no. Is it about <laughs> the band? Yes and no. Is it about, <laughs> you know, whatever, United States of America? Uh not that much, but a little, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's a breakup song, you know. Was Born to Beg, did that start with the title just because it's such an alluring title, especially when you have Born to Run and Born to Lose by Social Distortion? It's just a mm. tempting framework for a title. That was a sketch where I started playing it, and then it kind of just the, one of the very first things that, 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 that stuck was me singing that chord, like, I was born to beg for you. And, um, and it just, it was real organic. And I was like, and I, I remember thinking, well, there must be a song called Born to Beg out there, right? And uh, there wasn't, I don't think there is. Maybe there is. There's, there's a song called Pretty Much Everything out there. Somewhere. Sure. Uh, the System Only Dreams in Total Darkness was because there's another version of that somewhere. No, I'm kidding. That one doesn't. That's 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 on its own. But um, yeah, sometimes a song just like hinges on a chorus, you know. For sure. And uh, now we're also going to be joined by Brian Devendorf, drummer for the National. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. How are you? <laughs> Good. So I'll tell a, a brief story about something I once uh, saw, which is that Brian is the only rock drummer where I've ever seen this. I believe that I was once I, I was in in your studio in, in Brooklyn. Uh, and I saw that you had actually written out a score. You actually had, had written out a, a score for, for a drum part. A drum score. Yeah, which I just had never seen before in a rock context. That, obviously, you, you have some serious training. How does it help to, to write, write the stuff out? Well, that's how I started. I had a drum teacher by the name of Elmer Monk who pirated some Led Zeppelin sheet music. You know, just like the drum beats notated out. <laughs> I thought Steve Earle taught you drums. Well, Steve Earle was the initial contact but he had to quit Got teaching it. to go on to the afghan wig so okay. he recommended this other guy hey i know this guy elmer you should check him out so through elmer i learned I, I, i'd already taken violin so i knew how to read like basic notation drum music is much much easier typically because there's no notes but just you know things <laughs> you hit um so yeah it just helps so you don't forget things just to give me that level of uh confidence while i'm recording so i know i, I just glance like a cheat sheet in the world of rock and roll, it, it's pretty extraordinary, I have to say. There's an anecdote in Elvis Costello's book where Elvis Costello learned to read and write music, and he can write out orchestral scores. And Bob Dylan stopped in his trailer, and Elvis was writing out an orchestral score, and, and Dylan was very sort of disturbed by this because it was so <laughs> it was so far beyond anything he could imagine doing, and I think he was perhaps even slightly threatened. So anyway, you, you should flaunt this around other drummers. Well, hey, Brad, are yeah. there any other Like, does Phil Collins do it? Who does it? Keltner? Anybody? I, Did Bonham? I would assume both, 
all the aforementioned were certainly capable. Um, Bonham, I don't know. I mean, his playing is so precise and so accurate. Oh, yes, for sure. I'm you sure. think he writes it all out? It's not all just feel. I, I, maybe, maybe in his past he did, but I think he's probably mm. moved beyond notation. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, I'm going to take the opportunity to correct you on your pronunciation of Neil Peart. 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 I tried to say, listen, hey, listen. I tried to say it right in between. I was like Neil Peart, so because I wasn't sure. You're right, Peart. The name of Ryan's autobiography is Beyond Notation. We've stayed on this topic for longer than I expected. I have to say. So, Ryan, on this album, I would say. I think it's the most sort of drum machine stuff that there's ever been on a national album. And uh, you did one of my favorite things, which is going between program stuff and live stuff. Uh, I love that transition. So talk about that aspect and how that became part of the thing. Well, we've been trying, or I've been trying to attempt it for years now, unsuccessfully until now, I guess. Initially with the recording of Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, we had some MIDI program drums for Uh reason. But I think it really started with my obsession with Stephen Morris of New Order and Joy Division, like how they would use both electric and acoustic elements. And just, just trying to copy that because I enjoyed that sound so much. Um, and here I think drum machine technology has advanced far enough that people who don't really know what they're doing, like myself, can approach it and just easily program and make you know little compositions on them. And what was the hardest aspect of making this album for, for you, Brian? And then maybe I'll, I'll have Matt answer that as well. Oh, geez. Well, I probably have the easiest work because I get to redo things a lot. I get to revisit a lot. Um, mm. um, and, I, and I think we sort of like, it's sort of a, a foundational element a lot of the time. So we, want, we have to we sort of focus on that and I get, I get lots of swings, um, especially this time more so than others. Um, but I, the most difficult, I, mean, I think just starting from nothing and just like, let's hit some stuff and see what happens. Here. <laughs> Making the record. That was the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Matt? Uh, stay mad. I mean, that's a, yeah. I, it's, I mean, I will say this. It's, it's like this, this record was less hard than in terms of like a less emotionally hard, uh, on me, less like sort of, uh, uh, trying in terms of the anxiety and and timetable and rushing and being up all night and stuff we kind of you know we all we all have weird different sleep patterns i always wake up at five in the morning now no matter what i just can't help it i love it and i just get a lot of work done in the morning and then other people roll in much later and stay up much later and we had this kind of and we were like you know the process was sometimes bryce or aaron were sending me stuff from europe you know late at night um and then i'd 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 work on it and send it to them and they'd get the, get up in the morning and 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 do stuff and send it back and it was so then when we were in the studio is there's a pond outside i don't know it was it was a long it's been a long process and the, it's a challenge it's an uphill climb and, and all that kind of stuff and it's stressful but i can't say it was uh hard Mm. I must admit, on some level, it's always a slightly disillusioning when you find out that all the members of a band now live in different places. It sort of ruins that like monkey's illusion a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so how does that affect things, if at all, that you're all kind of scattered now? I mean, I literally, Aaron, I lived upstairs from Aaron. He was my landlord. He was he was Corinne and uh, both of our landlords. We that's when we got married. We lived above Aaron, and then and then when we were dating, we lived we lived above Bryce and his sister, and then two doors away. So we've been, you know, I've been living in the house or on the property of. <laughs> 
of the Desner brothers, uh, you know, for a long time. But even then, it was just we would just email stuff each other. Even when in Brooklyn, when we had the studio in the backyard, yeah, I would go out, but most of the time I wouldn't leave my room. And like they would leave hamburg. Literally, Bryce would leave burgers outside the door, and I would like you know I would come out in the middle of the night and get it and go right back in. You know, I was, it's, it's it's so so now now we all live in the different cities, but now we have these things where we we all camp out for like ten days or two weeks at a time, and it's and we work twenty four sat you know like at different times but we're like sleeping late or sleep or getting up early or you know staying up late and 21st it's just it's just fun it's like band camp so and we're going swimming in a pond and it's and you know hiking and and just and yeah drinking beers smoking weed making rock songs it's it's a blast and and, uh, and it's a ton of work it's a ton of work but yeah i actually think we work we collaborate more now i think it's been 16 years since your first album uh, which is wild, it, you know that that's way longer than like the Beatles ever were together. You know, <laughs> What's we're the kind of the yeah. we're, we're basically had the Beatles not broken up. That's our story. <laughs> You're uh, welcome, <laughs> culture. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna answer answer Brian this one. Answer Brian this one. <laughs> I mean, we always put pressure on ourselves to succeed, but we've never really had any like great expectations. It was mostly just to serve the songs and write songs that we liked and get sounds that we liked. I mean, that sounds. <laughs> pretty obvious i guess i'm not I, re- I really don't know i think this is just fate maybe the fact that we're also blood relatives probably plays a piece as well there's uh, i mean there's no small part of it is that we took care of each other i'll just say it you know it's like all of us just stepped up against some 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 things that could have ended it you know or we, we you know and we stepped right up to the edge a bunch of times and, and one or all of us or a couple of us would would, would remind us all why we're doing it and and a bunch of stuff not just with regard to the band but personal lives health reasons all kinds of stuff we've 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 uh we've done that for each other a number of different times over the years and we've forgiven each other for shit we've said to each other that's the other reason i think like people like i think i think liam and noel just like just forgive each other just forgive it you know come on forgive each other play a great show fucking stop it i wonder if having two pairs of brothers and we only have a couple minutes left i wonder if having two pairs of brothers canceled out the sort of kinks oasis type problem or also i think you're a little bit of different personality types than those guys i don't know also maybe just the product of where and when and how we grew up i don't know just you just kind of stick with it you stand by your family and just thick and thin you know um I mean, I got a brother that drives me bananas too, so I get it. I think like, we all can empathize, and maybe that's that's what it is. But. That's true. If he was in the band, that would be a very interesting and different dynamic. He was for a year and a half. Right. As a, a, a very excellent documentary uh, establishes, yeah. So we've been talking to two members of The National who have a really great album, Sleep Well Beast, out in September. Matt and Brian, I really yeah, appreciate thanks, you coming Brian. here. And so this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week at 1 p.m. here on Volume. And in the meantime, be sure to download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to us as well and maybe leave us a really nice review on iTunes. And we will see you next week with more from Rolling Stone Music Now. <laughs> <laughs>